Welcome back to another episode on What the Autism. This podcast is for anyone who's struggling with understanding what autism is and how we can better empower our autism community through research-proven methods. In each episode, I will be sharing with you groundbreaking research and how the diagnosis of autism can often be misunderstood. If you're a new listener to our podcast, I highly recommend you start from episode one to catch you up to speed on various terminology and concepts. Now let's get started. So a child is diagnosed with autism. Now what? Typically, the diagnosing doctor or psychologist will recommend early intervention for children that are diagnosed prior to the age of three and around three. But some really helpful information to collect from the diagnosing doctor and psychologist is exactly what level your child is diagnosed on the autism spectrum disorder, and this will typically range between the levels of one, two, and three. In episode two, we spent some time discussing the different diagnostic criteria and the severity levels for your child's diagnosis. Make sure to check out episode two if you want to hear more about the severity levels. But because children with autism fall on such a large spectrum of different skills and behaviors, the severity levels will help you identify exactly where your child falls in the area of social development and restricted and repetitive behaviors. You want to have a very clear understanding of what areas your child is not meeting the developmental milestone. But remember, Every child learns at their own pace, but it's always better to underestimate a child's skill level than overestimate. Because what happens when you overestimate your child's skill level is that they miss a couple key skill sets that almost start this domino effect. So what you're left with is a child left straggling behind in comparison to their peers, and that gap only continues to get bigger with every year. A great way to make a quick observation of how your child is developing is number one, Do a quick research of the timeline. Understand the developmental milestone. At what age should my child be babbling and making sounds? At what age should they be engaging in joint attention and be interested in playing with other children? What age should they be crawling, playing with toys, etc.? Number two, immediately set up those peer dates with anyone and everyone that you can possibly expose your child to. I know we're in very different times right now where close social interactions are frowned upon, but there are tons of resources and communities that can help you navigate through these obstacles and provide you with creative ways to get your child exposed to other peers. Seeing your child in the same environment as their peers will help you to see what is typical and what is not. But this combination of social interactions and better understanding the developmental milestones will surely give you a clear idea to whether that call to your local psychologist needs to be made. If you are currently in a place of thinking your child may need help, but maybe you're afraid, confused, and maybe unsure, I hear you. I may not have directly experienced what it's felt like to receive the news that my child has an autism diagnosis and maybe that they won't develop like their neurotypical peers. But what I do know is what can lie on the flip side of the timeline once your child begins receiving treatment. Every parent that I've worked with has experienced the same type of fear and uncertainty, but I've yet to have met a family that has ever regretted their decision to getting their child's autism diagnosis treated. Now let's start talking about treatment. With the outrageous increase of prevalence rate in the autism diagnosis, there's been this influx of various treatments that are proclaiming to provide the most effective treatment to those with the autism diagnosis. An unfortunate situation that we see with finding effective treatment is that you'll have an extremely vulnerable population of parents and families. They're willing to do anything and everything to help, quote unquote, cure their child of this diagnosis and do whatever they can to provide their child with the best shot at success. 
But when you have this population of vulnerable people, you get businesses and people that will take advantage of these situations by marketing that they can help, quote unquote, cure their children with autism. In episode one and two, we define what autism is and the various symptoms of the diagnosis. Autism isn't a diagnosis that can simply be cured with a quick month of treatment. A child with autism has experienced at least and sometimes typically multiple environmental factors that have resulted in this diagnosis. Those variables can be genetics, diet sensitivities, toxicity levels in their blood, multiple instances of what we call quote-unquote history of reinforcement, which we'll get into a little bit in today's episode and in future episodes as well, but typically there isn't just one variable. Many children diagnosed with ASD also have other underlying diagnosis or um, conditions that are also affecting their ability to develop like their neurotypical peers. So uh, we'll go through some examples. So for starters, gastrointestinal disorders are nearly eight times more common among children with autism than other children. Epilepsy, which is a seizure disorder, affects up to a third of people with autism, whereas it whereas only one to two percent of the general population is affected. Over half of children with autism have one or more chronic sleep problems, which negatively affects their daily performance and child development. Now, these are just a couple examples of additional hurdles that children with autism will have to face, and it's our duty to ensure that the treatment that we are providing. Um, to these children are best suited for their diagnoses. But the concept of looking for autism treatment is actually quite simple. If you have a clear idea of what skill your child is lacking, that's the specific treatment that they're going to be needing. So for example, if your child has speech delays, send them to speech therapy. Do they have motor delays in the way that they walk, grab items, hold utensils? Send them to occupational therapy. Are they showing abnormal inflammation, irritation, and behaviors after consuming specific foods? They may even be picky eaters that are showing extreme perseveration on eating specific textures and colors. Send them to a nutritionist or a dietitian, right? It's pretty simple. But one of the um, treatments that I actually want to talk to you guys today is actually a very well-known treatment that's known to be the most effective in the autism world, and that's called the Applied Behavior Analysis, also known as ABA. We'll be talking today about why it's the most effective, specific research proving the effectiveness of ABA, and maybe a little bit on some basic principles of what ABA covers. So ABA is a therapy treatment based on the science of learning and behavior. So in other words, what we do as behavior analysts is take a look at an individual's specific behavior and determine if this is a behavior that we need to increase or decrease. If a child is aggressive or engages in excessive tantruming, that's a behavior we want to decrease. Things like eye contact, functional language, social skills, these are all behaviors that we want to increase in our children. From there, we evaluate the environments that the child is in and determine what the child's main motivators are in order for us to create this controlled environment that will enable us to most successfully teach a child various skill sets and decrease undesired behaviors. Therapists and BCBAs will typically work with your child within settings such as schools, homes, clinics, and community centers to evaluate and modify treatment as it progresses. A key deficit that many children with autism has is the inability to understand others and appropriately communicate their wants and needs. 
Their diagnosis disables them from being able to independently and effectively communicate with others, which is where ABA is best able to support your child. ABA has been proven in over 20 different research studies that intensive and long-term therapy using ABA principles improves outcomes for many children diagnosed with autism. The Kennedy Krieger Institute in Baltimore, Maryland is an internationally recognized institution dedicated to improving the lives of children and young adults with pediatric developmental disabilities through patient care, special education, research, and professional training. I'll be linking you to their website that discusses their stance on ABA treatment on our Facebook page. But over the past 40 years, an extensive amount of research has documented the success of ABA treatment to reduce problem behavior and increase appropriate skills for individuals with um, diagnosis like autism and intellectual disabilities. I recommend you take a look at their website to read more in depth on the research that has been conducted by the Kennedy Krieger Institute supporting the effectiveness of ABA treatment. But another research study that I want to point you over to uh, was published back in September 2017, um, and the study was conducted by um, PhD doctors such as Dr. Dixon, Dr. Crampichet, um, and other well-known researchers. The main purpose of this study was to investigate how treatment intensity and duration impact learning across different treatment domains that include academic skills, adaptive and self-help skills, cognitive skills, executive function skills, language, motor, play skills, and social skills. The results of the study indicated that treatment intensity and duration were both significant predictors of master learning objectives across all treatment domains that were listed. But I'll go ahead and link you guys to this specific research study on our Facebook page as well. So why ABA? Why and how is it effective in treating autism? I'm not going to go into deep details as to everything in regards to ABA because this can take us hours and days. But like I mentioned earlier, in ABA, we study the child's environments and determine how we can best increase and decrease their behaviors. And this means anything and everything. And this can also include skill sets that involve speech and occupational therapy. It's not to say that one treatment trumps over the other, but it's to say that ABA can many times be the most effective in showing significant progress across all areas that are more than just treating maladaptive behaviors. We focus on providing our children with foundational life skills and adaptive social language and cognitive skills so that we can see, we can naturally see a decrease in their need to communicate with us through inappropriate behaviors such as aggression, self-injurious behaviors, tantrum elopements, and so much more. One of the things that I definitely want to review and advise you guys on is something that we call quote-unquote bad ABA and quote-unquote good ABA. What I mean by this is that there are tons of ABA service providers that are out there providing services and treatment to children that are not providing good effective ABA. This means that you need to do your research on the on the different ABA providers around you. If you go to our Facebook page at What the Autism, I'll be posting a list of questions that you should be asking your potential providers prior to you deciding on your ABA provider for your child. It's the same as selecting your primary physician. You ask them questions to determine if they're the the best fit for you and your medical needs. It's the same exact process. Ask your ABA provider questions and see if your child can benefit under their care. If you disagree with the perspectives or the specific treatment methods, 
ask them specific questions on the whys and hows of their treatment. And if they're a great ABA provider, you'll be amazed by what you can learn about the field of ABA and how it can best and effectively treat your child. Another advice that I want to provide to those that will be or working with a specific ABA provider currently is to understand the clinical reasoning behind BCBA, the BCBA clinician's recommendation. If your child is noticeably behind in social language and play skills and cognitive skills, and your ABA provider is recommending anything less than 15 to 20 hours per week of ABA therapy, please speak to the clinician about the rationale of their recommendation. I'll be covering the topic of clinical recommendations within the next couple episodes, where I'll be discussing with you guys what goes on in the minds of a, cl- of a BCBA clinician when we provide you with a clinical recommendation of the number of hours your child should be receiving of ABA therapy to make effective and meaningful progress. However, in the meantime, I'll be posting some resources on our Facebook page as well um, that may help you better understand the intensity of services that your child should be receiving based upon their skill set. Another point that I want to make is that regardless of what treatment your child is receiving or um, whatever treatment you decide to go with, whether that's ABA, occupational therapy, speech therapy, various treatments through medication, or even a combination of any of these, it's important that you always question the information and fall back onto the research that's been conducted for each of these treatments. So let's break down the steps of what needs to be done. First, Talk to your insurance provider about a list of local psychologists in your area that can see your child. When you're in the appointment with the diagnosing clinician, ask specific questions. Anything that you find odd or unusual, share everything. Now is not the time to hide any information. The ultimate goal for every healthcare professional working with your child should be your child's well-being, safety, and progress in their early development. Talk to the psychologist about the recommendations. Get recommendations from a family pediatrician. Whenever you get a medical diagnosis, what's the first recommendation that's given? To get a second and third opinion about the diagnosis and the next step, right? Treat it the same exact way. It's always the most important that you get recommendations from multiple professionals in different fields. Do research on the best ABA treatment provider that is local to you and is covered by your insurance provider. This wraps up another episode here at With the Autism. We upload a new episode on your favorite podcast platform every Wednesday. If you have any questions on today's episode or you have any recommendations for future topics and discussion, please email us at whattheautismpodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at whattheautism for any helpful resources and updates in regards to our discussion topics. Please note that this podcast has been created to discuss my personal experiences and opinions and is not a means of medical or psychological recommendations. By listening to this podcast, you agree not to use this podcast as medical or psychological advice to treat any diagnoses and or conditions in either yourself or others, including but not limited to patients that you are treating. Please consult your own physician or psychologist for any symptoms and recommendations. But stay tuned for episode four, where we will be discussing the causes of autism and to what extent research has proven these various causes. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please make sure to follow and subscribe to our podcast channel, and I'll see you in episode four.